Yeah, here we go. Simon Seder Shel Pesach. Here are the Simonim, right? The little mnemonics. Kadesh Urchatz, we can do it. Kadesh Urchatz, Karpas Yachatz, Magid Rochza, Metzimatza, Morech, Kerech, Shulchan Oirech, Tzofon Beirach, Halal Nirzo. You know, it's interesting, a little Kabbalistic insight. There are 15 steps here. And 15 is a significant gematria. It is uh, tes vav, right? Or, we don't usually say it that way, we usually say tes vav. Why do we say tes vav, by the way? Because like, you count and go, yud aleph is 11, right? Yud base is 12, yud gimel is 13, yud dalit is 14. And then when you get to 15, you say tes vav. Why do we say tes vav? Why don't we say yud? Ah, because yud and hey, so you don't say the two letters uh, back to back. Yud and He is actually one of Hashem's names. And specifically, Yud Kevavke is the four letter name, but then Yud and He uh, is also a name. Ka, that's how we say it to avoid saying it. And uh, what is that name? The four letters of Hashem's name correspond to different spheroids. So there is uh, basically Yud is Chachma and He is Bina. Vav is the six midas, that's why Vav is six, and then the lower He is uh, Malchus. So Yud K is Chachma Bina. And what do we learn from this? That the whole, this is a very, very, I mean, people don't realize this, that the whole point of the Seder is Avedis Hamaychin, brain work. And that's why there are 15 uh, steps in the Seder, because that is the numerical value of Yud and He, of Chachma and Bina, the whole Seder is about working out your Chachma and your Bina and getting to a place of God consciousness where we had self-consciousness. The whole Seder is a mental process, a process of mental liberation. And that's why, to use fancy words here, it is a psychoeducational experience, right? Everything is about understanding ideas and relating to them and internalizing them. And that, that's, that's the 15. Okay. Kadesh. All right. Here's the first step of the 15. Kadesh. You know, there's a, the, the little Yiddish um, sing song that the school children say uh, with every one of the steps. So, Kadesh. Right? Kadesh, what is Kadesh? When Tati comes home from Shul, he immediately makes Kiddish so the children do not fall asleep and they're there and and are able to ask Manishtano. Okay. I'll tell you a little story about this, one of my favorite stories. The Shpola Zayde. Shpola Zayde was a Talmud of the Balshamtim uh, of the Balshamtiv and of the Mazit Shemagid. Um, we, we, many of us know the story of the, the Shpola Zaydi with the Hop Kazak. So, uh, but this is a different story. Shpola Zaydi at his Seder. Once uh, he went to his, his little children, and uh, he, uh, he, he, he had children. Shpola Zaydi was a father. He wasn't just a Zaydi. <laughs> to become a Zaydi, you have to become a father. Well, Zaydi was his nickname. Anyways, uh, he, his, he came to his little children at the table, and he was asking them to say the little uh, sing-song. So the little kids, they said, Kadesh, uh, Vendetati, Kum, Tehem, Funshul, Mach, Baal, Kiddish. That's it. When father comes home from Shul, he immediately makes Kiddish. He says, no, continue. Continue what? The rest of that little line. There's no more line. There's, no, there's nothing after that. He said, there's nothing after that? They said, no, that's all we, that's all we learned from our, from our uh, Rebbe in Cheder. 
So that's very strange because the whole line is when Tati comes home from Shul, immediately makes Kiddush in order that the children should, shouldn't fall asleep and they should still be able to ask Manishtana. So the Shvalizay didn't say anything anymore about that, but the next night at his Seder, the Malamed, the, the school teacher who taught his children, actually was at the Seder the second night. Apparently he wasn't there the first night, but he was there the second night. And so the Shvalizay asked him, he says, you know, my children said, he just stated the fact. He comes home and he makes Kiddush. They didn't say the reason that the Manishtana. So the Malama says, Yeah, that's right. That's what that's what how I taught them. So the Shvodazeti got very, very serious. He said, Why did you depart from the holy custom of uh, the school teachers from time immemorial? This is an ancient custom. And, and why did you depart from it? He said, I didn't want to burden the kids because the truth is, it's not really relevant why Tati makes Kiddush immediately because the truth is, on any Shabbos or Yom Tif, you're supposed to make Kiddush immediately when you come home from Shul. It's not specific to Pesach. Uh, and so I didn't think that they needed to know the reason why. They just need to know what happens that the father makes Kiddush right away when he comes home from Shul. So I just taught them that part. And the Shabbat Zeta said, do you know that each one of these little sing-songs is also speaking on a Kabbalistic level? And they are prayers that we are saying to Hashem. Let me tell you what this, what this line means. Kaddish, what is Kaddish? Kaddish means to sanctify. It's a story about sanctification. Vendertate. The Father, meaning Hashem. The night of Pesach. Hashem comes back from Shul. He goes and he visits the Jewish places of worship. And he's amazed because he knows that the Jews for weeks have been scrubbing and cleaning and turning their houses over. And they're exhausted, and they and they were they were getting the house ready for Pesach and, and cooking and shopping and, and buying and, and and then it comes the night of Pesach, and there they are, they're in shul, and they're davening Ma'ariv, and they say Hallel, and so when the, when the father comes home, meaning comes back to heaven from shul, having seen the Jews after weeks of preparation for Pesach, they're in shul davening, he says, Wow, look at my beautiful people. Machter bald kiddush. He immediately sanctifies the Jewish people, like a sher kedushanu b'mitzvesov. You who sanctifies us with your mitzvahs. In other words, like a chosen who's mekadish akale. He says, "I want to marry them all over again." He falls in love with us all over again, based on our, our, our coming to shul that night after all the weeks of preparation. And he says, "And I better do it bald. I better do it immediately." Why? Kedei as di kinderloch zon nishtein because I don't want the children, Bnei Yisrael, who are all called children, to fall asleep. Maybe they will succumb to the numbness of exile. Unfregin manishtana, and they won't even ask, manishtana halayla azeh, why is this night, this gullus, this final gullus, why is it different? Why is it so, uh, so much longer and harsher than any other gullus? And if I don't immediately renew my vows with them, maybe they will fall asleep and not even ask that question anymore. They won't even know to ask, why is this gullus so long and so harsh? 
And that's what that song means. And you took it upon yourself to, uh, to mess with the words. So the school teacher got really, really serious. And everyone in the room got serious. And like, <laughs> it was a very somber mood all of a sudden. It was like, everyone was... Yeah, yeah, you can imagine. You can imagine Shmuelazade just rebuked this school teacher and, and they told him what this beautiful meaning of this, of, this, of this line is. And you didn't say it. You didn't teach the children to say it. So there was a very, very like somber mood in the room. And then all of a sudden the Shmuelazade like lifted up the spirits and he says, but it's okay. It's okay. Because even when we are in the dark of night, our father knows that his children still know how to dance. And he got up and he started dancing around the table with everybody. That's the story. Okay. Let's continue here. So we make Kiddush. And don't forget this year, by the way, the Yakna has because uh, Yom Tif is coming out of Shabbos. But we, we, I'm sure you could uh, we talk about that elsewhere. Okay. Um, so after Kaddish, we have... Uh, Urchatz, we wash our hands without a bracha, without a bracha. <laughs> yes, it's happened to me more than once that I made the bracha. I once stood there and I reminded a hundred people not to make a bracha and then proceeded to wash and make a bracha. Okay, then we do karpas. Karpas, you can use your, your potato, use your onion, whatever you want. Um, and uh, you you have in mind the murder when you make the bracha adama and the karpus. Yachetz, you break the middle matzah. Okay, maybe you know this story. It was one of my favorite uh, stories to tell at the Seder. When you do yachetz, so there's a story that happened at the Seder of the Tzemach Tzedek, the, the Enikl of the Balatanya, the third Rebbe of Chabad. Anyways, um, somebody at the table did yachetz, and you know you're supposed to put away the big Half, I know, what's a half means equal sizes. We use the term half colloquially here. The big half, the little half. So he, you're supposed to put away the big half as afikoymen. Uh, and by the way, uh, just if you want to know the Kabbalistic custom, we take the big half of the afikoymen, we break it into five pieces, and uh, that symbolizes the hegvures, which are the uh, restraining forces of the universe that the source of all blockage and symptom and which eventually becomes severity we want to sweeten those severities so anyways we break the afikoyman into five pieces uh, once happened that Rebbe Rishab broke the afikoyman it broke into more than five pieces so he put aside the extra piece at any rate so back to the story about the Tzemach Tzedek which also involves the Rebbe Rishab um, the uh, the Tzemach Tzedek uh, at his seder, he observed that somebody was doing yachatz, or he had done yachatz, and now he's trying to figure out, I guess he broke it too evenly, he's trying to figure out which side is the bigger side, so he could put the bigger side away for the afikoyment, and he was like comparing the two side by side. So uh, the Tamach Tzedek said to this, whoever it was, a greiser, you know, he said in Yiddish, it sounds better, but, uh, you know, a, a big one that has to establish his being big by way of comparison with another is really not big at all. Flows much better in Yiddish. But the point is that <laughs> if, if you have to establish your greatness um, by way of comparison with others, that you're greater than other people, 
that's not called being great. Greatness speaks for itself. Anyways, the Rebbe Rishab was a child, he heard that. He was, he was the grandson of the, the Tzemach Tzedek. And he said that from that moment, he developed a, a, a real uh, keen sensitivity to that particular human attribute, that a person should never try to prove his greatness by uh, not even not putting down others, but even just to compare oneself to others. Okay. Let's continue. We have Magid. Okay, Magid is actually telling the story. And Magid starts with Helach Ma'anyo, which is in Aramaic. This is the bread of our affliction. Um, and then we go into Manishtano. And we, we spoke a little bit about Manishtano. Manishtano Alayla Azeh. That the Shbol Azeda said, and there's also a whole, uh, a longer explanation from the Rebbe Rishab in the Hayyem Yem, but Manishtana Alayla Azeh also means this night, meaning this Golas Ho'achrein, why is it different, why is it so uh, absurdly long? Okay. Um, then we begin telling the story. We tell our history of Odom Ho'yinu Lefarei B'Mitzrayim. We were slaves to, to, to Pharaoh in Egypt. Um, oh, Even if we would all be Chachomim and Nevenim and Yedim Esatayra. That's Chabad, by the way. Chachomim is Chachma, Nevenim is Bina, Yedim is Das. So even if we be complete Chabad Chesidim, Mitzvah Aleinu Lesape Bitzis Mitzrayim, it's still a mitzvah to tell the story of going out of Mitzrayim. Now, what does that mean? Lesaper can mean to tell, like Sipur is a story. It also can mean to shine, like uh, an Evan Sapir is a sapphire, to shine. So we shine by um, telling these stories, by telling the story of our exodus, and there, thereby we actually have a Yitzia Meitzadim from our own limitations. Now, based on that, we have an interesting story because the next thing that happens is Maisa, a story by Rabbi Eliezer, by Rabbi Yeshua, by Rabbi Allah ben Azayah, by Rabbi Akiva, by Rabbi Tarfin, Shahayu, Mesubim, by Venevrak. These great Tanayim, these great uh, holy sages, were having a Seder together. Now we just established that even if we were complete Chachamim, Nevenim, Yedim, Esatayra, we still have to um, go out of our limitations. So even if you have great, massive, wide limitations like these sages, you still have to surpass even those limitations. So that's what they were doing. They were sitting all night, kol eise halayla, like it says, right? They were, why was it kol eise halayla? Why was it all night? Because they have very, very big limitations. Their kalim, their vessels are very wide. But you're supposed to go out of your relative limitations, even if your, your limitations compared to others would be, you know, expanses. So they were trying to basically fabreng to a point where they, where they would inspire themselves so much that they would like go beyond their, their normal capacity. That was the idea. Because it says, even if you are it's a mitzvah, it's still incumbent upon us to, to tell the story, to shine in a way that you actually surpass your, your capacity. And they, ha they hadn't hit their threshold. 
that was the point because they had such an incredible threshold for, for divine inspiration. You know, what, what, can you, what can you tell Rabbi Akiva that will blow him away? You know, what hasn't he heard, right? Okay, so they're, they're going and they're going and they're going. They're trying to inspire each other. What happens? A very odd thing. Ad Shabo Talmideyam, the students came, the Yamr and said to them, Rabbi Seinu, our teachers, our masters, he gives my Krishna Shachris, it's morning Shema time. First of all, it's morning Shema time, look out the window. I know it's morning Shema time. Why, yeah, why do you need somebody to tell you that? And maybe you need somebody to tell you when the end of the morning Shema is, but the beginning of the morning Shema, you look outside, you see light. Second of all, why is that appropriate for the students to interrupt the masters? The masters are speaking. They're telling the story of Yitzhiya Mitzrayim in order to experience their own personal Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. And the students are interrupting. Can you imagine Labavitcher Rebbe at a Fabrengen, if the Fabrengen would, would start going till dawn? Do you think anyone would have the chutzpah to say, Rebbe, by the way, it's getting close to dawn. Do you think anyone would say that? Never happened. Okay. So it's very strange. So here's the explanation. Take, they were trying to hit their capacity and go beyond, to have their own um, Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. And they weren't hitting it. But you have to hit it, because it's a mitzvah to experience Yitzhiya Mitzrayim at the Seder. But here's the catch. If you can facilitate somebody else going out of their Mitzrayim, meaning somebody else hitting their capacity and going beyond, then it is as if it had happened to you. So the students weren't interrupting like, hey, it's, 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 it's morning time. No, they were informing the teachers that the teachers had fulfilled their own obligation of going out of limitations. Yes, you didn't go out of your limitations because your limitations are so expansive and great, masters. But you facilitated us going out of our limitations and... Uh, in that respect, it is vicariously as if you had gone out of your limitations. And it is time for Krishma Shashachras, they announced. Meaning, not the Krishma Shashachras you could see if you look out your window. Maybe that too. Maybe it's literal and figurative. But the figurative uh, level here is, is what's germane. That they were saying, you brought us to a point of light. You brought us to a point where it is, it is shining for us, the Echad. Of Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Your fabrenging about Yitzhiya Mitzrayim caused us to come to this level. And if you can cause someone else to come to that level, it's as if you had attained it yourself. And, you know, we see this all the time. Sometimes we become spiritually jaded. Could happen, right? You've seen it all. You've heard it all. You're going to tell me a vort that's going to inspire me. The best maybe is I'll hear the vort and I'll say, oh, that's a good one to remember. I'll say that to someone else. But you're going to inspire me. But here's the thing. If you can take it upon yourself to cause somebody else to have an experience that pushes them beyond their spiritual capacity and is a liberating experience, a wow, I can't believe this. This is so beyond anything I ever thought before, then it's not just you get the assist. Uh, it's, much, it's, more, it's much more than that. It has that effect on you. And you see this all the time. If you want to recapture the excitement and the, the wonder of Yiddishkeit, 
Go find somebody and inspire them. And when they experience the excitement and wonder, it's like you're experiencing it again. Okay. Let's continue here. Um, ah. We're up to the four sons. Now, there's so much to be said about the four sons, but I'll just share one thought about the four sons. Keneged arba banim Torah speaks about four children, and, that, and that's because there are four different places in Torah where it gives an answer to the child's question uh, about the Seder. And uh, so Chazal explained that the reason there are four different answers is because it's talking to four different children. It says, Echad Chacham, Ve'echad Rosha, Ve'echad Tom, Ve'echad Shene Yede Elisha. There's a Chacham, a wise son, a wicked, a simple, and one who does not know to ask. Okay. So I heard a Vart. I don't even know the source of it, but it doesn't, doesn't matter because it's so true. I mean, it matters in as much as attribution, but I'm saying as far as being reliable, uh, it's so true, we can rely upon it because we, we see how true it is. And that is, every single child that a parent has is an only child. I don't mean that just in the sense of attention and love, but I mean that in parenting style. What worked for one child doesn't necessarily work for another child. And we can't force our children to fit each other's molds. We have to see them as completely unique individuals. And that's why when Torah is speaking about the children, when Torah is speaking, it tells you that Echad Chacham, Ve'echad Rasha, Ve'echad Tom, Ve'echad She'ena Yedei Elishel, you don't have a chocham and a rasha and a tom and a yedei No, 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 it's not a grocery list. Echod, 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 each one of them is one, is an only child. Now I'll tell you one more thing. This is from uh, the Rebbe's father. And that is that the word echod is aleph, ches, dalet. Okay, aleph is one, ches is eight, dalet is four. One eight four is thirteen. Yeah? Okay. Now it says Echad four times. It says Echad before each of the four sons. So that's uh, thirteen times four. Thirteen times four is fifty-two. Fifty-two is Ben. Base is two, known is fifty, fifty-two. So we explicitly have four sons. Chacham, Rasha, Tom, Enidei, Elishel. But if you take the gematria of the four times Echod, which is 52, you have another Ben, another son, the fifth son, the hidden son. And as the Rebbe explained, that fifth son is the one who's not even at the Seder. The Rasha, at least, he's engaged. He might have come to make trouble, but he's showing up at a Seder on Pesach. He knows that's where he belongs. Then there's the fifth son who doesn't even know to go to a Seder. And that's the one that we have to reach out to with, uh, with love. We have to reach out to all of the sons with love. Um, but that's the one we have to actually bring into the Seder because otherwise he or she is not even going to be there. Okay, let's, uh, let's continue. Uh, 
here, I'll tell you one of my favorite Seder uh, talking points. I'm going to skip way ahead, a few pages, where we start to talk about the plagues. You know, we pour out a little uh, drop of wine for each of the plagues. Dom ve'esh ve'simus oshon. Oh, you know what? Before I'll tell you my, one of my favorite uh, ideas from the Seder, I'll tell you a cute word. Um, so uh, there's a Gemara in Shabbos that says that Rabbi Yehuda Bariloi, that's uh, the Tana Rabbi Yehuda, was known as Rosh Medabrim. In fact, uh, the Gemara in Shabbos, I think it's Dav Lamed Gimel, it says, Lamed uh, Nikra Rabbi Yehuda Bariloi, Rosh Medabrim Bechol Makim. Why is Rabbi Yehuda Bariloi called the head speaker? And then there's a whole story there in the Gemara about the Romans made it official that whenever the Jews get together, Rabbi Yehuda has to be the head speaker. Whatever, that's a whole long story. And it's actually the story of, of Rashbi in the cave. But the point is, there's a Gemara that says that Rabbi Yehuda was the head speaker. He was always the head speaker. Like the main, they would always give him the mic. Okay, so I heard, uh, so, you know, like a humorous quip that... Um, why was Rabbi Yehuda always the, the head speaker? Why did they always ask him to uh, go to the podium? Because, like it says in the Haggadah, that uh, we have the, you know, the ten plagues. And then it says, Rabbi Yehuda took all these, this list and he gave them uh, acronyms. And made it short. So that's why they always wanted me to speak. <laughs> because he, he made things shorter. You know, he knew how to, he knew, like George Burns said, the secret to a great sermon is you have to have a strong opening and you have to have a strong finish. And the two of those things should be as close together as possible. <laughs> okay. At any rate. So, okay. One of my favorite, now here's one of my favorite uh, concepts from the Seder. I'll share with you right now. We're talking about the plagues. It says an interesting thing. Um, He says, in Mitzrayim there were the famous ten plagues. But at the, at the sea, there were 50 plagues, right? Like the, 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 because one plague was called the finger of God. So then, and, and then at the sea, it says they saw the hand of God. So a hand is five fingers, five times one, right? Five times more than one. So 10 plagues in Egypt and, and 50 at the sea. Okay, so he's got, that, that's his math. Then comes Rabbi Eliezer, Eimer. Rabbi Eliezer says, makes. He says every plague was quadruple, was fourfold. And therefore he comes out with a, with a final number. And he has a posik, he has a, he, a certain uh, scriptural exegesis, how he explains that it was each plague was quadruple. But at any rate, and he, so his final math is, he says, say from this, conclude from this, in Egypt, there were 40 plagues, not the 10, but the 40, because if each plague was fourfold, so 10 plagues is really 40. And at the sea, there were 200, because if Rabbi Yesi said that 
there were 50 at the C, like the difference between a, a hand, a whole hand and a finger. So now if we're, if we're saying, if Rabbi Yesi says 10 in Egypt and 50 at the sea, so Rabbi Eliezer is saying 40 in Mitzrayim and 200 at the sea. Now, not to be outdone, Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, Eimer, Rabbi Akiva comes along and says, He has another way of darshaning a Pasuk. It's actually the same Pasuk. But he explains, as the same Pasuk that Rabbi Eliezer uses, but he darshans it a little differently. And he says that every Makya was fivefold, was quintuple. Is that the right word? And therefore, how do you conclude? Emer miyato. Then in Egypt, it wasn't 10 plagues, it was 10 quintuple plagues, which is 50. And therefore, at the sea, it was 10 times 5 times 5, right? Because <laughs> Rabbi Yesi says that the difference between a finger and a hand, which is 5. And then each plague to begin with is quintuple, is, is times 5. So at the sea, you have 250. Makais. I don't know if you're following all that math, but it does, it does work out. Okay, so let's talk about this a little bit. What's going on here? Basically, each of these Tanayim is describing the depth to which Tumis Mitzrayim had taken hold. The plague was to knock out the negative energy. But how deeply did the shock waves have to reverberate? Well, as deeply as the negativity had taken hold. And uh, sort of Yesi says that it only had to, a plague was a plague. Okay, at, in, in Egypt there were 10, at the sea there were 50, but each plague was a plague. Um, Rabbi Eliezer says, no, a plague wasn't a plague. Every plague was four plagues. Rabbi Akiva says, no, a plague wasn't a plague. Every plague was five plagues. What they're talking about is whether the tuma, the negative energy, had affected only the outer appearance of things or if it had seeped into an elemental level. Rabbi Yesi says, no, it only, it only affected the outer appearance of things. So, for instance, the first plague, the blood, when the water turned to blood, it was just the appearance of the water turning to blood, but it wasn't on an elemental level. When I say elemental, I don't mean like uh, the atoms that we have on the periodic chart of elements, but I mean the Dalad Yisaydais. Eish, Ruach, Maim, Afar. Right? Earth, wind, and fire. Remember that? From the 70s? R&B group. Um, <laughs> fire, air, uh, water, and uh, dirt. So Rabbi Eliezer is saying that when, for instance, the blood, the water turned to blood, it wasn't just on uh, the level of its appearance, it was actually on an elemental level. That not just the water, but the fire in the water, the air in the water, the dirt in the water, they all had to be uh, affected by the plague because that's how deeply the impurity had, had seeped in. Okay, now, why does Rabbi Akiva say five? Where does he get five? Because behind the Dalad Yasaitis, behind the four elements, 
Which, by the way, it's interesting. There's a letter from the Rebbe in English. He was writing to a scientist who asks about, well, why are there four elements? Uh, you know, the, in the periodic chart of elements, you have so many more. So the Rebbe says, talking about two totally different things. And if you want to find a parallel to modern science, probably the closer parallel would be states of matter. So like uh, plasma, gas, liquid, and solid. So the, the fire would be plasma, and the air would be uh, gas, and the water would be liquid, and the earth would be solid. Okay, but at any rate, um, Rabbi Akiva says it, the Tumah was even deeper. It was to the level of the Chaymer HaYu'uli. Chaymer HaYu'uli means primordial matter. That's the most basic building block of existence, of, of material existence, which... Even the, the, the four elements are built from. And so Rabbi Akiva says that the, the, the plagues had to hit that deeply. So it wasn't just the, 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 the fire of the water and the air of the water and the water of the water and the earth of the water, but it was the primordial matter behind the fire of the water and the air of the water and the water of the water and the earth of the water that had to be struck by the plagues. And it's interesting, by the way, that um, as far as the halachas of Bir Chometz, of destroying Chometz, we find each of these sages are consistent with these, uh, with these opinions. Because Rabbi Yesi says to destroy Chometz, all you have to do is destroy its form. You can just tear it up and throw it in the wind. But, um, and, and Rabbi Yesi says that the plagues were only, they only had to strike as deep as the outer appearance of the things in Mitzrayim. But uh, the opinion of Rabbi Akiva, which uh, is, is, uh, is the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, which is you can only destroy Hametz through Srefa, through burning, because you have to actually destroy it on an elemental level. At any rate, what does this have to do with us? As we know, Yitzhiya Mitzrayim isn't something that just happened historically, it's something that happens all the time. It happens every single day, but especially on the night of the Seder, when, when we come back around to that place in the, the cycle of time, and the energy of liberation is available again, just as it was the first time, and even more, and even more. So we have to know the following. The Yetzirah has affected us, you know, and when we destroy the Chometz, we actually say, just like we're destroying the Chometz, Hashem should, you know, destroy the Yetzirah, should get rid of our evil inclination. It's affected us. Yeah, but how deeply has it affected us? So, Rabbi Yesi would say, only externally, meaning it can make you sin but it can't creep into your insides. Rabbi Yazir would say, yeah, actually it could. It could get into you, and it could affect you um, on four levels, which is why it says every makkah had to be fourfold. It could affect your nefesh, your ruach, your neshama, your chaya. So it's not just it affects your behaviors, but it could get into your emotions, right? That's ruach. It could even get into your thinking, that's your your neshama, or it could even get into your sense of uh, spirituality, your chaya, 
your, your desire to, to uh, surrender to Hashem could also be tainted to some degree. It's interesting, the Rebbe gives an example. What would it be to experience a Mitzrayim on the level of Chaya? So he says, it's, there was a guy once, he bragged that when he says Shema, he meditates on Echad for a whole minute, exactly a minute. He looked at the clock to know that it was a minute. <laughs> so the point is, it's not Chas Vashom, he's doing anything bad, right? Only on the lowest level, Mitzrayim of, 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 of behavior, that's where a person's actually Chas Vashom doing Avedas. These other levels are much more subtle. Um, you know, the level of Ruach is he feels the attraction, an emotional attraction to the Avedas. He doesn't do them, he just feels it. Or the level of Neshama is the Seichel, where he's thinking in a way that is, you know, uh, selfish and not, not holy. The level of Chaya could be he's surrendering to Hashem, but even within that surrender, there's a, there's a self-imposed limitation. So he's thinking oneness for a minute, but exactly a minute, and he looks at the clock to, uh, you know, to make sure uh, to know when he's done. So uh, <laughs> it reminds me of the guy who used to brag that when he's davening, he's completely lost in Dvekas. So another guy got sick of it, and he snuck up on the other guy when he was davening Shemin and he poked him with a needle <laughs> in the middle of Shemin And the guy had to pretend he didn't feel it. So he poked him again, and finally the guy turned around and he said, Stop stabbing me! He's like, You said that when you're davening, you're lost in Vegas, you don't feel anything. He says, Well, I didn't feel it the first time. <laughs> I didn't feel it the first time. Okay. Anyways, um... And that's why Rabbi Eliezer says the plagues had to hit uh, onto the elemental level, the four levels, the the Dalai Yisoidis, which in in terms of our of the of the human soul correspond to the four soul levels. But that that leaves us with Rabbi Akiva. Why does Rabbi Akiva say five? What's with five? So just like we're talking about, you know, before there's the four elements and there's the Chaimer Yuuli. The, the, the primordial matter that makes up the elements. So too, in the, in the soul, there are different aspects of the soul, and then there's the core of the soul itself, which is called Yechida. And it's the fifth level, which is not a level at all. Uh, many of you studied Kuntras and Yonah Shaltetis with me, and we spoke about that at length, how the Yechida uh, is the core of the soul, the essence of the soul. It's not any particular level. It is... Um, the, just the most basic identity of the soul, which if you strip everything else away, all the form and all the, the, the even the, 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 uh, the way the soul manifests itself, and you just get to what is it itself, right? Which is ultimately, it's, it's, it's godliness, and that's why it's called Yechida, because that means oneness, it's one with God. So, uh, and, and that's that fifth level, like on Yom Kippur, we dive in five times to engage the five levels, and that's how Kapata works on Yom Kippur, because you could have tainted your nefesh, or your ruach, or your neshama, or even your chaya, but you can never taint your yechida, because the yechida is one with God, and it's, it's pristine, and it is, un, uh, what would be the word, it, it is impervious to corruption, right? Okay. And yet, Rabbi Kiva says, five levels. Why? Because Rabbi Kiva recognizes that there could even be the necessity for Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim on the level of Yechida. Now, that's, that's a wild concept. Because the whole idea of Yechida is that the Yechida is impervious to corruption. It is, it, is, it is inherently pristine. 
intrinsically pristine. It can't be corrupted. So where's Rabbi Akiva coming along? And that's that's the whole mechanics of Yom Kippur. So where's Rabbi Akiva coming along and and and, and saying that we we could need a maka that would reverberate so deeply that it would dislodge any tumah that had attached itself to Yechida. How could tumah attach itself to Yechida? And the Rebbe explains, you know, you know why Rabbi Akiva understood this? Because he was a Ben Gadim. His parents were converts to Judaism. So Rabbi Eliezer didn't understand that. Rabbi Eliezer had Yichos. And so he understood that a person could experience internal exile to a certain level, but he didn't understand that there could be an internal exile so deep where, for instance, a person is divorced from his true self, which is the, the idea of a ger, is realigning himself with his true spiritual identity. Rabbi Akiva had that sensitivity, and he knew that that could happen to a person, and that a person would need an exodus on that level as well. Anyways, like I said, that's one of my favorite Seder thoughts. I find it really, really, really powerful. Um, I'll, I'll leave you with one more thought, and this is one that I made up. But maybe we'll find a source for it. You know, there, there are some people who they love to have a chiddush, and they feel bad when they find out that it wasn't their chiddush. I, I, my, my feeling is, I don't want to have a chiddush, uh, but mitzad, you know, amarotzis, because I'm an ignoramus, so sometimes I think it's a chiddush, but if you can find that it's not a chiddush, then I'm much happier that way. So if anyone has a source, I would love to hear it. Um, it's not even such a chiddush, it's just a davar apashat, it's just an obvious thing. You, you have the dayenos, right? And we go on and on and on, dayenu, dayenu, dayenu. So the question is, if it was really enough, then why did, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's like when you go to your grandmother's house and she's like, do you want another piece of Mandelbread? And you say no, because she knows she's going to give you another piece, right? Okay. So it's like, oh, yeah, it's enough, Hashem. It's really enough. It's really enough. Well, you're saying it's enough because you know he's going to keep going. Is it really enough or it's not enough? Why are we saying Dayenu? Or we only sing Dayenu in retrospect because we know he did all of those things, right? In retrospect, oh, it's enough, it would have been enough, it would have been enough. Yeah, okay, but at, at that time, would you have really told him to stop? And here's, here's what I understand. It doesn't say die, it says Dayenu. Dayenu. It would have been enough for us. But this whole thing wasn't about us, it was about him. Hashem had an agenda, why he needed to take us out of Mitzrayim and bring us to Matan Torah and bring us to Eretz Yisrael with a Beis HaMikdash. Like the whole Dayenu story there. It's, it's a story from going out of Egypt to coming into Eretz Yisrael and building the, the Holy Temple. Maybe it would have been enough for us. We would have been satisfied. Dayenu. But it wasn't enough for him. He had bigger plans for us. And I think that's... a uh, just a general guide in life. A lot of times we are sufficiently, uh, you know, stable. I'm talking about not material stuff, because in material stuff we always want another million and another million and another million. But I'm saying in spiritual stuff, you know, we're like, okay, we're good, we're good, we're good. You know what? It's not about us. It's about Hashem. Hashem has an agenda, and Hashem's agenda is to go all the way, and ultimately 
um, to perfect the entire world, to bring Mashiach, to bring peace to all humanity. And uh, anything short of that is not enough for him. It might be enough for us, but it's not enough for him. Okay. Uh, thanks for joining me. And the Mr. Shem will do a little bit more uh, Seder prep next week.